It's the first time we've been talking together, you and I, Jasmine. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think we've bantered ever, and now we're right into a... It's we almost got, very... We got, we got a strapping <laughs> younger man. How tall are you, Miguel? You say younger, right? Well, younger than I'm, me. I'm six, seven. Six, seven. Wow. Goodness yeah, gracious. I'm a fully developed human. So. I know you get this question a lot, but did you play basketball? I, I did. I mean, I still play, but for recreational purposes. Mm-hmm. Do you get picked first? Like in, yeah, in, in rec sure leagues? Like when you walk yeah, in, they're yeah. like, I want that guy. Yeah, I do. I mean, we have a very... Um, Specifically, we call ourselves the AARP League. Kind of a bunch of older guys playing now. Bad knees and bad feet. So, but yeah, I usually get picked first. Yeah. Yeah. Not bragging or nothing, but yeah. Yeah. Even if you weren't good, just because you're bigger. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm good, though. Oh, I'm okay. Good. Yeah, there's other big guys in the league. <laughs> All right. but yeah. All Are right. you like a power forward? Is that what it's called? Yeah, power forward center. Okay. Uh, yeah, something like that. There you go. There you go. Um, so, you're relatively new here. Yep. I just hit one year. One uh, year, okay. 25 October, yeah. All right, so that's, I mean, but with COVID and everything else, a year no, here, no, you no, probably haven't met uh, a lot of people. Um, probably the last two months here have been where I have actually started to ne- you know, network my way and, and, and connect with people on a face-to-face basis that you know makes my job a little bit easier. The first yep. few months here, pretty tough due to COVID and all the trainings and all the meetings being online that doesn't help my position a lot you know doing suicide prevention I need to be face to face and kind mm-hmm. of get a feel for people and you are the suicide prevention program manager for the entire installation yep. or is it uh, it's for the installation uh, but I do work for the ASAP program Army Substance Abuse program yep. um, but I do serve the entire installation yeah and then uh, so how would you characterize in a year that you've been here in the last two months getting out you know I've, I've been at the fort for about 12 years and it's always been suicidal ideations has always been taken seriously mm-hmm. uh, the fort with its different stressors and the fact that you know the type of missions we do here tends to lend itself to a little bit more distress than some other places what, what's your assessment of the the landscape here and and how we're doing yeah this is a very particular installation i've been in benning Schofield barracks belvoir for sam and uh, Leonardwood. And when, when I first got here, I mean, I knew what it was about, Intel, cyber stuff, or whatnot, Secret Squirrel stuff. This is very different, a very particular place as far as the type of soldiers and the type of individuals and, and units and teams that we have here is proven to be a different challenge than when I was expecting. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of introverts here, a lot of folks that like to keep to themselves, which again, makes my job, I won't say harder, but again, it presents a different challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense with like their line of work mm-hmm. and having to be secluded mm-hmm. and secretive. They, they, you they know, doing. it's one of those things that I'm learning. I think that the biggest hurdle for me is the fact that I cannot just show up, mm-hmm. you know, knock on your door and kind of sit down and hang out in the units and get a feel for what's going on and get to know people like I used to do at Belleville, for example, which is, you know, again, for my job and for the way I do my job, which is connecting with people on an interpersonal level, you know, we're finding ways to navigate around that. You know what I mean? It's a challenge though. Mm -hmm. Do you have to deal with like, uh, Jasmine and I were talking a little bit before you came in, you know, like with confidentiality issues, things of that nature between the work that people are doing when they're talking to them and then obviously what you can or like what's your trigger 
for like, hey, I need to I need to bring this up to higher or I need to get this person help. So in essence, my job is not to counsel. I'm not a counselor. I, I don't do any type of like uh, medical care, uh, you know, psychological services. I do education and awareness. Right. So my primary uh, job is to educate folks and empower them with one understanding what suicide prevention, intervention, reintegration, and postvention looks like. Assist command teams with uh, when, God forbid, a suicide does happen, how to navigate that and allocate all the resources that are available to them. And again, just kind of give people, I wouldn't even say I teach anything, I just remind folks of the humanity of what suicide prevention is, right? When you think about suicide prevention, there's nothing more than good quality of life right? We're thinking prevention, right? Intervention is a different story. But when it comes to intervention, again, I just educate folks on how to intervene using the ask care escort model, for example, but I don't necessarily do any type of individual or group counseling, right? So if somebody comes to me with an issue, I would definitely refer them to the uh, appropriate uh, agencies, which would be behavioral health, or a chaplain, or if it's a crisis, I will take them to the ER or something like that. But me, myself, I just do education. How would you assess the resources we have here at the fort or that service members have access to? We have a lot, right? We have a lot of resources. The, the biggest issue is folks knowing what those resources are and how to get to them. And again, that goes back to one, when I do my trainings, when I sit down with people and I help them, you know, navigate that landscape of knowing where everything is and how to access different resources that they might have to on a more individual level, right? If somebody comes to me and say they're struggling with, you know, you know, I might be feeling suicidal, or they might have soldiers that feel suicidal because they're having I don't know, money problems. The economy is kind of crappy right now. So for me to connect them with financial readiness, uh, ACS, for example, that's that's suicide prevention, right? That's a right. resource they have. But they might not look at it as suicide prevention, but that's what it is. If you're having issues at home with your spouse, you guys are having a hard time communicating, well, let's go to a relationship class, a communication class or something like that. If I can't find one on, on post, I have enough of a network outside of the installation that I can refer them to you know, different localities outside of the installation have a lot of stuff for soldiers and uh, veterans. So. so we're opening Coon Hall on yep. the 17th. Yep, yep, FMA. And they've got the portal and... Yep, so my know, guys we, over there, good people. Yeah, good people. they yeah, are. Yeah. How is that going to help? I mean, how's it how's it helped to bring all those resources together and then to put a hub where at least people can get access, or at least where they know where they can start their process and at? That's it. That, uh, you know, when, when it comes to mental health, and, I, and I be, I, I'll keep it specific to dealing with depression, anxiety, things that can lead to suicidal ideations, mm -hmm. the hardest thing to do is to actually go ask for help, right? Go get help. You know you need it, you know what I mean? But when you're dealing with depression, a lot of times that finding that motivation to, to ask for help and make that first phone call can be very difficult. Right, so having a place where you can go and just kind of click on the kiosk, and it's not just at the Akun Hall, but you know, we have kiosks at headquarters, mm -hmm. at the fitness center, you know, different places that you yep. can just go and kind of just scroll through and see what you need. That can start breaking down walls, right? So uh, I'm hoping that people being able to go to the to the hall, to the resilience center, and say, for example, they go in for a, I don't know a cooking class, yeah, right. And I just happen to be there, right? And I pop my head inside and I remind people, hey, this is suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. You're learning a life skill, you're learning a, 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 possibly a hobby, 
you know, just kind of put it in the forefront and making uh, making that intentional about helping folks understand what suicide prevention right. looks like. So having that center is, for me, again, access to the people, right? For me to know that it's a hub or that people are going to be there, I'm going to just park myself there and, and talk to folks. You and know? This, this isn't just for service members like active duty, reserve, it's for anybody on, well, on base. Yeah, if you're DA civilians, retirees, family members can go there. Now, different resources are gonna be allocated for, you know, some are gonna be just active duty, some are gonna be for everybody, but as far as the hub goes, everybody can go to the Richland Center. So for you, I'm met, not in charge of that. that no, no, I, no, 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 I, I got that. No, it's in your lane, though. It's just very interesting because you've mentioned a couple times about quality of life. And yep. I guess when I was thinking about it and you said the same thing and you're much more of an expert than I am, that prevention is the best. If you can improve mm -hmm. quality of life, you might not. Everybody always wants to talk about the ideation or the act, but they don't necessarily want to talk about the quality of life and creating an atmosphere where it never even gets to that. We I don't correlate it. We're very reactive to mental health issues. For example, I do suicide prevention. That's my title, suicide prevention program manager. But the bulk of my education piece, for example, is with intervention, how to right. intervene when a crisis happens, which is very much important because crises are going to happen. So we got to still teach ask care escort and, and make sure that people know what to do and who to go to when a crisis happens. But we got to put as much emphasis into what prevention looks like, right? And prevention is not just going to behavioral health and, and you know, that that is part of it, right? Having a counselor, somebody you can talk to, all that stuff, but having a good support system, being financially stable, feeling like you have a good balance between your work life and your quality and your home life and your personal life and your social circles there's so many different things that encompasses prevention that once we start kind of helping people understand how this keeps you from going down a spiral a downward spiral is going to help our community build be more one resilient and two, be more understanding and more intentional about doing certain things and pushing soldiers and, and civilians and family members and everybody to do certain things that are going to help them maintain a certain level of prevention. Mentioning family members, mm -hmm. what happens when a suicide does happen or an ideation does happen? Working with units, we've done a lot of that type of stuff, but okay. you know, if somebody does have a home where and they have a family or they have kids and a spouse at home. What kind of tools do you provide families before, you know, in the, the wellness and then heaven forbid something does happen, what kind of services are in the intervention do, so, do we provide? Uh, all right, so we, are we talking for family members as far as, you know, before a suicide happens <laughs> or? Yeah, so to start, perfectly happy family right now. Okay. Not anything of issues, but are we doing anything now to give families any type of training before that so that they can maybe even see the early warning signs? Well, we do. Even if there aren't any? Okay. Every Tuesday of each month, we do our community training. We do a suicide prevention and substance abuse awareness. First Tuesday of each month on MS Teams right now. I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to go back to in person somewhere. Mm. You know, you can, you can uh, sign up. Uh, and, Anybody? Anybody can go, right? Okay. Anybody in the Fort Bevel community can go. It's up to everyone. What I do, because, you know, my target population, if you want to call it that, is soldiers, right? So yep. I, I work for the units, and and, and, and and of course, I assist with, you know, all the civilian agencies that we have. We're conducting the annual training. But what I always remind people is, you know, when, it, when we're talking prevention, when we're talking quality of life, the mission is important for the soldiers, but part of that mission is their home mission, right? So making sure that their homes are, are squared away and that they have a place that when they go home, 
mm. you know, everybody's, you know, has a sense of peace and purpose and, and family and love and, and caring and compassion for each other. That's part of my job also. When I teach my classes, I make sure that, you know, we emphasize the importance of the home life being uh, strong and being solid, right? And making sure that you take care of that because that is part of your mission. How can people sign up for that Tuesday class? Now you show up. They just uh, go, the link is in the community calendar on the installation zone page. You go there, you click on the link, and then you just be there. And you'll see my face when I'm teaching my class on MS Teams. And is that something that you're hoping with Coon Hall opening? You were mentioning that, you know, using potentially some class space to move that to in-person? Yeah, that yeah, so that will help, right? We, I mean, we can still maintain the, the one online, but I will definitely, you know, even now, I do a, a more extensive training, which is ACE SI, right, which is Suicide Prevention for Leaders. So E5s and above and any civilians and supervisory positions can come in and take a class where it's an eight-hour class that is designed to approach the topic from a more in-depth supervisory leadership type mentality and approach so that's eight hours and we do that in person we don't do that over okay. we don't do that online but you know having a space like home hall right where i'm hoping that gonna be a, a larger you know more what's the word i'm looking for attention grabbing or, or, or more conducive to keeping somebody in a, you know help them retain information right the, yep. the, the space matters right so no disrespect to small wood theater now like that but sometimes <laughs> it can be a little disruptive right it can be a little moldy it can, it can be, be a, a little, little loud you know yeah. small woods but, but I like Smallwood though. I like I like the the way that my voice can project because yeah. of the way it's set up. So no disrespect there, but you know you, you can tell when I do trainings there that sometimes folks get distracted by the building itself, right? So I'm hoping mm -hmm. that Kuhn Hall opening up, having that space there to to teach in-person uh, trainings, whether they are big or small, are going to help my mission. And you and so you think you mentioned you're just going to like pop into different classes and that's yeah. yeah. Why like, not? Hey, you know this is, this is suicide prevention. Is it important to tell them even? If they're not thinking about suicide, well, that's hate. what I want to do. I want to, yo, we're very reactive to it. We hear the word suicide and we automatically get scared. We don't want to deal with it. It's kind of, if it's not impacting my life right now, if, it, if I'm not dealing with it right now, I don't want to, I don't want to touch it until it happens, right? And yeah. when it happens, then everything, every, everything stops. Once suicide happens, everything stops. So if we can prevent it, if we can be intentional about understanding what prevention looks like, hey man, that, that's half the battle right there. Why do you care so much? Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I was in active duty for 10 years. I was stationed at Belvoir, I was at E4 at Belvoir. I did behavioral health, right? So I, I worked in the field already. And uh, one day, the suicide prevention program manager at Belvoir came to our office and, and she asked for one of us to go teach a suicide prevention class. I've never done it before. So yeah, I'll do it, whatever, you know. And I ended up sitting in a, uh, well, standing in an auditorium with a good 400 people going over the slide. It felt natural, you know what I mean? It just, it just came very natural for me to, to speak on the subject. I realized very quickly that talking about suicide prevention and intervention, all we're really talking about is community and humanity, right? And before I joined the Army, I worked a lot with uh, kids at-risk youth and uh, college prep students. So I, I had a nick for just talking to people in a way that kind of, you know, simplifying things, right, and making them digestible, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yep. So I, I took the slides and I put my own words to it and it just became very easy to talk about suicide prevention and intervention for me. And ever since then, I've been doing it. I asked my commander back then to make me the suicide prevention coordinator for my battalion and I ended up doing teaching these classes maybe once a week for five years at Belvoir. So you've seen and you've had to deal with, I would imagine on the intervention side, 
mm-hmm. some things you've had to deal with the subject matter that you work with mm-hmm. it's tough how do you keep yourself resilient you get hit enough with suicide talk i mean the mind's a crazy thing yeah. i mean how, how do you keep no. your mind staying yeah. strong you, not strong's not the right word but you know i know keeping focused and moving on and 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 doing doing what you need to do to get by i think that the biggest thing is knowing that as much as i care for my job right as much as as important as my job is i also got to take care of myself right and it's funny because we were just talking about this today in our morning huddle as passionate as i am for suicide prevention it is heavy right it, it can definitely when suicides happen and because they're gonna happen right which what we want to do is minimize and do what we can to prevent them but they're gonna happen and when they happen you you, you know inevitably for me for example i start thinking what, what could i have done better and I, and, I, and I go through that mm. and, I, and I think about all that stuff and, and I go through it all and, and I process it all. But at the same time, I still take time for myself, right? So the, the gym is important for play me. Play basketball? So I play basketball with my friends, even though it hurts for the next five days, right? <laughs> but I, I, I make sure that every Thursday and Sunday we're playing basketball, you know, my friends. That's self-care Where for me. Where do you guys me. play at? Well, I live in Virginia. So I, I play, yeah, I play all the way out in uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. You I, drive? Yeah, every day. I love this job that much, right? Because that's a commute. Um. This is a the former deputy here lived on the other side of the Aquaquan. Oh, uh, yeah, nah. And he drove here <laughs> yeah. every day for yeah. like 10 years. Yeah, well, I've been doing it for a year now. And it's not that bad in the mornings at night. Like, the, the, that, that night commute, this is a little rough, but audiobooks. Yeah. If you got a long commute, audiobooks is the way to go. I read like 16 books already. I'm <laughs> is it reading? I mean, is, well, does it count as reading? You know what I mean? If somebody, have you read that book? I say, yeah, I read it. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> there it is. I know, I know the content of it, right? So uh, you find ways to, to manage it. But I think at the end of the day, for me, doing this job is just reminding myself to maintain that good work-life balance, reminding myself not to be a hypocrite and practice what I preach, right? So I, I take care of myself. I, I try to spend time and do things with my family and my friends as much as I can. And uh, sometimes I got to, you know, shut the computer off, mm-hmm. even yep. though I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like, even though I got work to do, it can wait till tomorrow. Because at the end of the day, I got to take care of myself and my kid. So I know we focus mostly on the service member, but does your office do any intervention work with the cluster schools that meet as a part of? So with CYS, right? So mm-hmm. we, we uh, do training for the staff at CYS and we do like focus groups, right? For mm-hmm. for the schools, right? Where we get invited to talk to the kids and, and build with the kids and kind of, you know, uh, educate the kids on suicide prevention and substance abuse and stuff like that. Though, you know, working with children is, is kind of not tricky, but you know, their attention spans well not even that it's more so of the making sure that there are clinicians there and people that are going to be mm-hmm. there to to assist in case you know somebody gets triggered or you know right. it, it's not it's not as simple right i mean mind you we do that also for the units right we make sure that they, there's someone there they know they can go to the NFLAX, right so they can go to the you know the the what's, it, what's the NFLAX? military family life counselors uh right? they're so, going they're going into coon hall too they are, yeah. but, but they're also embedded in the units, right? So units okay. have, them, have them embedded as well as behavioral health. Uh, they have embedded resources there. So making sure that when I teach a class, like, you know, I always make sure that chaplain or somebody's there. So mm-hmm. in case somebody gets triggered, somebody gets overwhelmed, they can assist me with, with dealing with that person one-on-one. With kids, it gets even more tricky because, you know, you can't just go into a school and start teaching or talking about this stuff, right? right. And I don't mind, you know, psychology. I don't have a degree like that, so... <laughs> <laughs> but but you know we can, we can, we talk to the kids about you know substance abuse right what it does like drunk driving and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, bullying, anti-bullying campaigns are big for us. So we assist with that because that is suicide prevention also, right? So, you know, when, when the schools call and want our help, we show up. I know we're just, the, our EAP coordinator was just at the high school doing, what is it, cornhole, the beanbag mm-hmm. toss yeah. with the impairment goggles. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd <laughs> be hard. Cornhole's hard enough. It's hard yeah. enough. But so, so you know, it, it helps the kids understand what the effects of this, this um, these drugs, different substances are, mm-hmm. and they enjoy it, right? So it's fun for them, but at the same time, they're having fun. They're learning that this is what it looks like. So when you get behind the wheel, mm-hmm. or when you try to do something, this is what it's gonna be like, right? So, but yeah, we do. We work. I work with everybody that that is in the on the installation, whether it's civilian, retirees, only people that I, I don't officially service is contractors. Mm-hmm. But if they happen to be in the room, you know, they're gonna get these right. words, right? So, mm-hmm. the last thing I wanted to to touch on Fort Meade Intelligence Partners, the things we do here, obviously seeking help or doing prevention, there is at least a perception of a stigma. Yeah. And yeah. though in all my time I've been here and every military leader who I've seen come through here, they have foot stomped. There's not an issue seeking help. I know part of like making Coon Hall is so that, hey, you can get anything mm-hmm. at Coon Hall. Mm-hmm. You might not have a behavioral health issue to make it safer. And I've heard every leader from General Nakasone to garrison commanders and enlisted leaders say that the stigma's not there. Get help. Mm-hmm. What do you see from your foxhole? Is there a stigma? Do leaders that you interact with look down on service members and community members who seek help? Or is it really just a perception of the stigma, but in actuality, leaders are more understanding than is believed or at least what's talked about well, you you say that question for that huh? I see you going with this. <laughs> the reality of it is does, does a stigma exist yeah is it real yes stigma right so especially in an installation like for me where everybody's walking around with a top clearance um it can be scary it can be discouraging sometimes if, if, if you know senior leadership is speaking on or taking away access to your workstations because you're doing behavioral health stuff this is what i say to that one i think and i'm off i know i'm off from this number but not by much i want to say last year 2021 there were 53,000 right investigations for people's clearances right mm-hmm. Out of those 53,000 for behavioral health issues, right? Like things came up, somebody got investigated. Out of the 53,000, I want to say like 13. Like 13% up, or like, 13 no, total? No, one, three total every vote, right? So, wow. Right. It, it, and again, don't quote me in those numbers, right. but it, it's something, it, the disparity is that much. It, it, it was insane what it was. Like, so people have to understand a couple of things also. At the end of the day, right, your health, your well-being supersedes your job. So we have to understand that a lot of times, even if we're scared to lose our clearance, you might have to put it on hold or, or give it up to make sure you're okay because now if they do take it away after that, you know, why did it do it, right? So let, let's say, for example, and I'm just, you know, making this up here. Say I'm a pilot, mm-hmm. right? And I have a top secret clearance, but I'm also having hallucinations or, you know, I'm hearing voices or something like that, right? And I'm going to behavioral help to get help for that. I probably should not be flying a plane or any type of aircraft. Right. While I'm seeing and hearing things, right? Based on the So symptoms. if I lose my clearance for in the time being, or even even if I gotta find a new job or whatever it is, I'm still doing one me, my service, right? I'm taking care of myself, but also the mission, right? Because I'm compromising the mission by trying to hide what I'm experiencing 
so I don't lose my clearance, right? So we gotta be honest with ourselves. We have to be understanding that behavioral health or, or the rules and regulations put in place are not out to persecute or target people. They're put in place to help people and make sure that, they, you know, people are doing the job they're supposed to be doing to the best of their abilities, you know? So what, what can leaders and the community do? Because what you just said yeah. makes sense and it's the right way that it sounds right. But it doesn't seem like that's getting out. Do you feel that leaders, you pull somebody's clearance, it's a, an emotional event. Do leaders, what can leaders do better or are they doing enough to can follow on that support afterwards for that service member so that they don't feel like, hey, you lost your job and your support? The biggest thing they can do is be transparent. I cannot think of a lot of senior leaders, right, whether it's enlisted or officers that have not faced some type of struggle, that have not been in need of counseling. Maybe they didn't use behavioral health, but they use military one source or a community resource or whatever it is, right? But in, in my time doing um, suicide prevention, going on 17 years now, I've learned that when senior leadership stands up in front of my class and gives that quick testimony, five, three minute testimony of, of how they overcame, it does more for those soldiers than anything I can say to them. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? Because it shows them that if they overcame, so can I. If they're experiencing that, it, then it's kind of normalizing it, right? We have to normalize for the younger soldiers getting help. And and it's not just telling them, oh, you have an issue, go to behavioral health. It's not just telling them where to go, it's understanding what behavioral health does. And it's also understanding that, you know, you can't be a hypocrite. So if you yourself are struggling, then you go get help also, sir, ma'am, first yep. sergeant, sign major. You know what I mean? Like, go yep. get help. And then be okay, you know, not talking about it in detail, obviously, but be okay and normalizing the fact that, yeah, I go to behavioral health. Like, I'll tell you right now, I've been doing this job for, I don't know, how long was 17 i used to 17 years right i go to, i have a therapist yep i benefit from that every two weeks i'm sitting there with her and and, and i feel better afterwards sometimes i don't even know why because we don't even say much right. nothing serious but it helps me right so having those conversations and normalizing the conversation probably one of the best things that a, a leader can do you know what i mean and fight the stigma right when you hear soldiers or, or when an opportunity arises to fight that belief that you know going to behavioral health is going to cost you your clearance just like that no, right. step in and say, no, that's not true. And then stand on that. Right. Stand on that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, uh, it's again, not forever. Right. That was always a line, you know, hey, you're, it's a permanent solution to something that is not. And then be compassionate. And, and, and you know, say, say a soldier does have to lose a clearance or whatever, have to change jobs or whatever it is, then, you know, show a little compassion in that moment and, and, and make sure that you do whatever you can to, to get that soldier in the right job or the right MOS or whatever it is, you know, even if they're transitioning out of the army, whatever it is, care for those soldiers because they're still your soldiers. Yep. And that shows that, you know, that, that showing that compassion, showing that care and that understanding is going to help us become a better army. Cool. Cool. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was going to ask if you have anything else you wanted to promote while you're here. Well, I just want to say, you know, uh, please, please, you know, if any any company commanders, first sergeants, assigned majors, battalion commanders, brigade commanders, I need any type of assistance, reach out to me. My position was open for, I think, two years before I got here. So if you don't know who I am, Miguel Sierra, Suicide Prevention Program Manager, I'm mm -hmm. here to assist you. Yes, I can help you with uh, mandatory trainings. But I'm also here to come in and talk to you guys and, and, again, shift the culture, right? So please reach out to me. My phone number is 677-6541. Uh, and you can find me on global, miguel.a.sierra.siv at army.mil. Just give me a chance to come into your units and, and, uh, and, and make sure that, that your soldiers and yourselves are doing okay. 
Thank you for coming in today. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun. I want to do it again. Oh, okay. We'll have you on again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're always looking for guests. I'm here. All right, there you go. Thanks, All man. All right, anytime. <laughs>